We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. John Tetter! Ah! What a tonight you've got to fight for your right to party party all night long my girl wants to party all the time party all the time party all the time insert party pun here party has arrived at arsenal this is the arsenal vision post-match podcast my name is Alex Twitter Yankee Gunner. Whew! we did it we got through the intro we got through deadline day and we got thomas party over the line uh just as everyone expected just a day ago so we're going to break down the deadline day deal to acquire Thomas Party. We will discuss the Sheffield United game in the context of the party arrival. So in other words, I think the big news from the Sheffield United game really was the period of the game where we played the back four with Pepe on the right and uh, Oba through the middle and Sack on the left and Willian kind of in behind them. And we'll talk about party in the context of that moment in that match and how we might set up going forward. We may be forced to touch on Mesut Ozil, and it is so typical of the situation with Mesut Ozil that on a day after a major announcement, he has found a way to uh, put himself front and center, and uh, we can discuss whether that is a, a cynical move, a good move. I mean, maybe we don't discuss it at all because it just gets to the point where no one's going to agree and everyone's going to be mad at each other, and the fact is, like, this is all going to peter out in about eight months or so, and, and I, for one, can't really wait. So maybe we won't come to that, but... I'm at least referencing that it's in the news so we can acknowledge that it exists. And uh, maybe that is all that needs to happen. We will sum up the window. We'll give our grades for the window and all of that. I will let you know that tomorrow on Patreon, Clive and I will be doing a scouting video of Thomas Party, breaking down clips of his every play, of his every move. 
literally dozens of clips of his uh, will be scouted and analyzed in full. So you don't want to miss that or you do want to miss that. But if you don't want to miss that, you can uh, sign up for our Patreon. And I hope you joined us for the live stream yesterday. Uh, I think there were over 32,000 of you that did so. So thank you for that. Um, it was a lot of fun. Four hours of just celebrating the, the madness together. And, and I love everybody who was in there and, and commenting and stuff. We had a great time. So Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Mm-hmm. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim's on Twitter. Stuart. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello, indeed. Okay, so um, I, I guess first things first, Clive. This is a player you have a huge affinity for, and tomorrow in the scouting video, we'll get to see more granular detail on what he's doing and what we like. But as a global point of this, just give me your top line feelings about fifty million plus whatever rumor you believe about the wage on a, on a four year deal. For Thomas Party, how excited are you, uh, both in the near term and the long term, about the signing? Yeah, it's always funny when Arsenal make a signing. They really do break down the financials like no other team. I always feel that. Um, I read that the signing was going to cost over a hundred million over the next four years, whatever it is. And it just it just sort of bores me really. How everything's always financial with us, and I like to look at it just as a football thing, football wise. I, you know, I have my own biases. Um, this player, I've, I've liked this player for a while, but I don't like being defined by players, ones I like or even dislike. Um, but I like this type of player in the midfield. And there was a period when I questioned my thoughts around having a player like this in our midfield because the game is moving away from the more physical animals, per se. You've got to be light on your feet. You've got to be able to play on certain positions you got to have more than just strength, right? So um, you got to be tactically aware. you got to be able to drift you know, passes and different angles and diagonals and fire for the lines and carry and play on the half turn. And fortunately, this guy can do a lot of that as well as the the physical attributes that, you know, made since Fierro, when he changed him on midfield, it looks like. I think we've missed a lot of those things. And... We'll, we'll go into it a little bit tomorrow, but it's just the way he um, approaches moments of collision and, and duels, and he really does engage with relish. And I'm not saying Nobby Styles relish. You know what I mean? I'm talking about the way he sprints in, he gets there early so he can perform a move, a trick, a pass. And so there's a physical aspect to him that, allows him to bring out the technical aspect to him, and I think that's really good. And I, I said yesterday about the emotional side to having a player like that and how comfortable that player makes you feel if you're another player and what they make you do. And then if you watch, you know, we'll, we're going to it tomorrow, but if you watch the videos, I always look for cause and effect and how he affects other people. And I think, I think we're going to like him. I hope he's as good as I think he is. Uh, I've seen him in my own eyes. Um... I think we're going to like him, and I think we need him. And I think that will become apparent. And um, I just hope for all our sakes, because we're all excited, that um, it works out. Yeah. I mean, every transfer is a risk, right? I, I think the mistake we make is thinking some transfers are a risk and some transfers aren't, and some are sure things and some are speculative. There is a range, but they're all a risk. I mean, I can think of high-profile transfers in the past that I thought were shoe-ins for success that didn't work out, stunningly. And... The opposite has happened as well. Transfers that you may have laughed off at a time, and and they they turned out to be fantastic transfers. You know, I I think that we can all point to those specific ones. But but with respect to this, Paul, um, you know, 
I want to be clear about something. I think that Thomas Party improves us right now. There is no debate about that in my view. I think he makes us better. I think he will make this season more enjoyable to watch and more successful. What the ceiling on that success is, I think, depends on how elite he is at the things people think he brings to the team. The debate about whether it's a a smart move from a squad-building standpoint is a little more nuanced, a little more complicated, and probably one for another time. And I think it is one that will evolve over time. I don't want it to be post hoc, though. I don't want it to be he shows up and he's excellent and he's excellent for three, four years and and then we say, oh, see, it was a great squad building move and vice versa. I don't want him to show up and, and maybe underperform and then say, see, we told you so. I, I think that there is a way you can look at this and say that spending 50 million pounds and potentially upwards of 200,000 per week um, is a very, very, very big outlay at the top of the market right now. And that means that you are expecting top-of-the-market performance. And especially given that the player most likely will not be sold at the end of this contract, or certainly not for any you know sizable fee, what you are expecting is elite top-of-the-market performance. So what I will ask you is, in your view, can Thomas Party come into our central midfield and deliver elite top-of-the-market performance that is paradigm shifting for Arsenal in the middle of the park. And and by the way, I'm not asking that as a loaded question because there are people that definitely believe he can do that. And I am optimistic that it could happen, but I think that's what we are paying for. So do you think that is what we are going to see? Uh, I think, yes, it probably is what we're going to see. This, this deal uh, will only be looked back on as a good deal. Not just if he plays well for himself, but if he, Uh, enables basically everything ahead of him on the pitch to start to to function the way the the talent ahead of him should be able to combine, which it hasn't been able to. If he not only performs at the levels we project, uh, but he enables um, uh, Aubameyang, Pepe, um, uh, Ceballos, uh, the wing, our wing backs to get forward and play with freedom, Willian, whatever that mix may be, that Arteta can now start picking the players ahead of Partey on the basis of who are the best players to create rather than who can I put on there without uh, capsizing the boat defensively. Um, if he can do that, it's not enough that he plays well. He kind of has to be the guy we've been waiting for. I think what makes me optimistic that he can be that guy, you know, I don't love the deal, but maybe we had to do this because, A, we didn't have another good big deal to do um, for a player who was ready. Now, is he ready? We'll see, but he probably is. I mean, he's been playing at this level. Um, He's incredibly well drilled um, as a defense. A DMCM, and I think he's a six-eight. I mean, I've heard him called a box-to-box. I've heard him called a DM. I think it depends what's going on the pitch, but he can do both. He's not. He's certainly to me. He's not a box-to-box. He's going to play up to the edge of the box, um, but he's really going to play from deep up the pitch. Uh, he, he's a risk taker. He's uh, risk reward. His passing. Nothing about him is perfectly clean. I I think he's kind of a complete midfielder um, as long as you don't think he's super technically clean. He's he's kind of uh, he's going to spill the ball. He's going to make mistakes. He's he's not going to be the cleanest passes passer out there, but he's going to make shit happen and he's going to impose himself on the pitch. 
And uh, I think the other reason in the pop psych space, I think the other reason he might just be ready is because this move has been something that's been afoot since apparently 2018. Uh, God bless Francis Kajigao, but he, he, you know, he's been uh, promoting and pushing, you know, the old, they left their dossiers on the desk before we let them go. This, you know, this is one that he's championed. Now, it's not like Partey wasn't known to the planet and that Arteta wouldn't have known him. But the plus side is being ready is also a mental thing. The club ready that they know how to use you, that they truly understand what they're getting. So we should at this point. We've been on the case for two years. Mm. And he has mentally been thinking about coming to ours. I'm sure he was thinking about other clubs. The way, you know, post hoc, to use your word, everybody rewrites their narrative. But it's it's very clear he's been thinking about us for two years, probably three or four or five other clubs, but definitely us. He's been watching our games, apparently, um, and this move has been on a couple of times. So he's mentally ready, and it's the right time for him. He's at a perfect age to be ready and to contribute, um, and he's still a tremendous uh, footballer and specimen from whatever I can see. And I did blow the whole Y-Scout uh, budget on his videos <laughs> so i should know yeah yeah um, but but no i'm very excited about him Good. i don't love the deal but but if he can make everything ahead of him click and enable it it may be an okay investment uh but i think i think there's going to be a very exciting player for us for for a few years yeah i, I mean by the way like you can love a player and love that he's at your club mm-hmm and think the deal to get him wasn't a good one. Vice versa, you can hate a player or think he's not a good fit for your club, but recognize that the deal was low risk. I mean, look, Lucas Torreira is a great example. Never really worked out. I like the player a lot, but it didn't really work out. But due to his age, due to his price, due to his wage, it looks like when all is said and done between loan fees and what we'll recoup in a subsequent uh, sale, that he's going to wind up being a player that we get our money back for with it having not worked out. When you spend this much what you need from that player for it to look like a good deal from an economic and squad building standpoint is a little different. But none of that has to change your evaluation of the player himself, right? Like if Thomas Party cost one pound and his wages were one pound, that wouldn't change what we hope he will do on the pitch and our evaluation of his performances. All it would change is our evaluation of the deal, right? So I want to be clear that you can love that we got this player. Think that he makes us better right away. And still, on the other side of the transaction, have some questions that will be borne out one way or the other over time. And and all I'm uh, trying to uh, position this as, Tim, is to say that I think this player makes us a lot better, and I'm super excited he's here. Whether this deal winds up looking like value is probably going to depend on him producing at a fairly elite level or maybe top of the market level, and he has it in him to do that. Uh, if you want to go to Arsblog News... Um, there's a great sort of data and data viz article by John Ollington on there, breaking down who this player is, what he can do, what's special about him. If you're a patron, you want to go into the Discord. Uh, Matt Giant Gunner has posted a fantastic data review of him that that gives a slightly different perspective. But all in all, I think that that it's exciting. So so let me ask you two quick questions, Tim. The first is, do you think it is fair for me to set up that that duality of analysis that you can analyze the deal transactionally and then you can analyze the player performance wise. And those two things can be separate and you can be really excited about the player in, in extraction from the deal. 
And then the second thing is the real X factor here, which is this is a very exciting player who has been playing for a sort of a kind of a, a kind of iconoclastic, unique coach with a very unique system. And I think we have to at least discuss what we think could be the same or better or different moving away from a Simeone system. So, so first things first, how do you feel about the transaction and the player and the ability to sort of divorce those two and look at one in the absence of the other? Yeah, 100%. And that, that's exactly how I feel. Now, I, I don't know enough about the player to be enormously attached or, or anything like that. Um, everything I've seen and read about his attributes, yes, absolutely. Sounds like something Arsenal can use. Frankly, there's a lot of things the Arsenal midfield is missing, and I don't think it's difficult um, to re- to really kind of uh, significantly upgrade there because there's not much there, quite frankly. Um, but yeah, e- everything um, that I'm that I'm reading, you know, big tick in terms of attributes. Um, I feel the same as Paul. I don't love the deal, um, and I'll tell you why. Um, and with all the caveats, Elliot, that, that you've issued as well, that doesn't mean I, I don't like the player. Or I don't think he'll be a hit or anything. I don't know, quite frankly. But one thing I do know, he has to be a hit. But Arsenal has to, has to, has to, has to. They have, um, Arsenal have, cashed all of their chips now in late prime players which is something they did two and a half years ago and it didn't work which is not to say it won't work this time it might but it has to um and and here's why let's set this out very clearly arsenal didn't think they had the money for this deal until the last day of the transfer window what does that tell you you can give me all of the spiel you like about brinkmanship about all we were good and we always wanted to do it on the last day of the window i also understand that they had a number one and two target in terms of hour and party and you could look at it and say well okay they went for the number one target they didn't get it they went for the number two target as a backup Fine. And, 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 and I definitely have sympathy is not the right word. I, I understand that view. But if you really, really want a player and you think you can afford him and he has a release clause that you eventually meet, there is no reason to wait until the last day of the window to do that. They could have done that in August if they really wanted to. Um, or they could have done it a week ago or two weeks ago. And Yes, there is the the hour context in there as well. But ultimately, Arsenal didn't sell any or sold very few of the players that they needed and wanted to move on. And as we speak, Mikel Arteta is sitting there with a pen and a bit of A4 paper thinking, which two highly paid players, internationals probably, am I going to leave out of my Premier League squad who are literally we are going to pay to turn up to training? Um and and so the, the context here is, and we we pretty much know that Arsenal are on for you know what a nine-figure loss in their next accounts. They don't really have the money for this signing, and they didn't think they had it until the very last minute. And that suggests um, maybe it's too much to call it panic, but some last-minute urgency crept in. And again, you can view that as a good thing because Arsenal are kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't. Because if they don't make this signing, this squad is not good enough to get where it needs to get. You know, you do have to spend money to make money, as it were. In this case, qualifying for the Champions League. But at the same time, they did pull the lever late in the day, and that could be um, that that could be construed a little bit as panic. We're told that Mikel Arteta made like a bit of an intervention there, and of course we have to balance the possibly short-term aims of our manager against the long-term health of our club. Um, and and look, 
this all sounds very kind of negative and I don't mean it to sound that way. I just want to bring some balance to this. But in short, this has to work because there is no resale value in this player because mm. we're paying him a lot of money as well. If it doesn't work, no one's taking him. If Willian doesn't work, no one's taking him. If Aubameyang is not still at an elite level at the age of 33, no one is taking him. This is where we've invested our money now. Um, now Louise could, could go in there, the although that's another, just another year. That's... Yeah, that's another year. And 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 that brings me on to my next point. You could look at this and say, well, actually, okay, um, that, that front loads us finance-wise for now, but we're losing some big earners next summer and we're losing one big earner in particular. So maybe they're taking the view, well, let's just swallow it for a year um, and then hopefully crowds will be back anyway and things will look a bit rosier. But, but really, I think with this signing, Arsenal are under big, big pressure to get into the Champions League next season. They were under pressure anyway. Um, because this is four years out now. Um, but this is, you know, you know, Josh Kroenke's um, quote about having a Champions League wage bill on a Europa League budget. Guess what? It still is. And it's probably bigger than it was last year. And at some point that has to pay off and it has to pay off this year. This signing has to work. It can't be. It can't even be a Pepe. It can't even be. You know, in a year's time, oh, well, maybe if we do this with the system, if we do this with the player, this has to pop. It's as simple as that. And, mm. uh, you know, rightly or wrongly, wherever you sit on this, the club have taken, uh, they've hit the gamble button here. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so a couple of things just that I want to tease out of that really quickly. And, and Clive, I know you have another view, so I want to get to that. And then I want to get to like what he's going to do for us in our formation, where we're going to use him, because I am excited to get him integrated. I mean, whatever we think of this, and I, I think our podcast takes a more analytical approach to things at times, sometimes at the expense of just the joy of football. I acknowledge that, and I don't want that to be the case. Um, but like, so you talked about resale value and aged him, and there's definitely been some backlash online of people saying, you know, 27 is an old, where has this idea come from? So I want to say two things about that. Mm -hmm. One, 27 is not old. 27 is the middle of, of a player's prime. When I quote prime age, I am literally just parroting what I have read from like the analytics and sports science community people that I follow on the internet, people who run sports science and analytics companies. I fully acknowledge th those people may be wrong. Like people are wrong all the time. I have absolutely no way of knowing what prime age is other than what people tell me. And if I'm taking the opinions of the wrong people, then I am wrong. And I apologize for that. It has been suggested by people that are in this business and run businesses in this business that prime age is like, 23 to 27, 24 to 28. And there are people listening right now probably going, that is absurd. And I fully acknowledge that, you know, the problem is there's error bars there, right? It's not a hard line. Some people's prime extends to 33. Some people like Paul Pogba look like they are running out of steam at, at 26, 27. And, and it varies. So I fully acknowledge that. The reason we bring up the age is simply that when you buy someone 24 and put them on a four-year deal, at the end of that deal, if you can't re-sign them or don't want them, you sell them on. When you buy someone 27, when you buy a Cedric, when you buy a party, when you re-sign Oba, when you buy a Willian, you are doing so understanding that the full value of what you've paid for them will depreciate to zero at the end of the deal, right? So that's fine, but that player has to provide something that is a little different than a player who yeah. you might say, we spent 50 million, and at the end of the deal, we'll probably get 40 million. So again... 
that's yeah. in the weeds a little. So, Tim, yeah, yeah. F- finish that thought, and then we'll, we'll hopefully cycle around to all the fun and excitement and, and football. Absolutely. And, all that nonsense, yeah. mm-hmm. and 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 look, if if party doesn't work, and you know we want to get rid of him, he's he's not going to be 27 in two years. That's that's kind of that's the point as well. Like, yeah, he's 27 now, and that's not old. But you know, presuming like it takes a couple of years, and we get and you know, in the worst case scenario, and we go, mm, actually, this player isn't what we want. Then he's 29, 30, and that's when you're looking at selling. So again, yeah, 27, not old, but if he ages like Obamiang, it's no big deal. You know, if he ages like Jack Wilshire, yeah, yeah. it's a little different. You know, and I admit that, that that's and a bad if, analogy because of the injury situation. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, and if you and if you're selling a 30-year-old who's just had a bad two years, that's even worse. You sell Torreira at 24, who's had an indifferent two years, um, albeit I understand we didn't actually sell him, but you know that's I think in a normal market we would have. That's different to when it's a 30-year-old. Yeah. Um. So, so Clive, I know you want to answer back on this, so let's do this. But then let's try to to turn this <laughs> this ship. That is focusing no, on the I, business I, I, end no, I, to the football I, I end. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really want to answer back because it's very subjective discussion. It, it mm. really is. It's just football and how you play. You know, I just, you know, I just brought up Liverpool squad age, right? And Jordan Henderson thirty, Wijnaldum twenty nine, Firmino twenty nine, Matip twenty nine, Van Dijk twenty nine, Thiago twenty nine, Mane twenty eight, nearly twenty nine, Salah twenty eight. All right, I, I gotta stop. You. I, I have to stop you for a second. Just for a second, I Clive. just, I just feel, I Clive. feel, I feel they, sometimes we get up around, we get up. Now listen, I feel sometimes we get up around backside about things like this. Just see how the player plays. If the player plays well, then that it doesn't really matter. And Dyke's twenty nine. If he went up for sale now in a non-COVID market, everyone's taking him. They take him because he's playing well. You know, on the footballistically side of things, just see how he plays. I think we just get a bit too wrapped up in these things. A lot of the aged players we have taken on board, we haven't paid for, we haven't paid a high fee for. I'm more worried about the wages, actually, rather than the fees, because the wages are showing us that we can't move people because we pay too much. And that's where the thing that really does concern me, that we still seem to be overpaying on wages. On this player, if you want to get a world-class player, you have to pay. And when was the last time we bought a world-class player at this age? You know, it's, you have to pay. We bought a Bamiyang, similar number. You have to pay. You know, if you want to get better, you have to pay. Well, and, and to be you fair, Clive, Aubameyang proved worth it because of what he did. If Party performs at Aubameyang's level, this deal is a no-brainer home run. I think we all agree, Clive. As, as long as he's elite, this is a sensational deal. I, I would never disagree with that, by the way. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's a sensational deal. If he's elite, deal, it is. <laughs> if we... It's, it's, if, yeah, we want we want to get better, don't we? We all we all know our midfield's not where it is, so you want to get better, you know. And and so to get better, you have to go for the best players that you feel in that area. And this is probably one of the more proven players we've actually spent money on, you know. So I I, I think it's something we should be trying, to, hoping it works. I really feel we need to be a bit more positive about it. That's just my feeling. Well, look I, to be clear. I'm extremely positive about it from a footballing standpoint. It makes us better. It makes us more fun. It makes us more... I believe it'll make us more successful. The, the only pushback I wanted to have, Clive, briefly about the Liverpool ages that you quoted is, you quoted their ages now, but bought at 24, bought at 26, bought at 25, bought at 26, bought at 24, won the Champions League, won the Premier League. Yeah, right? but you talk about prime ages. I don't look at those players as over 
past their prime. No, but they are they're they actually, are probably towards actually, the end of the cycle of this they team. Are, now, they right? are, and they're building a team below them. So right, exactly. Mark, they could exactly. easily be the the best forward in the league, and he's need he's, he's nearly twenty eight and a half years of age. I just think you just we just need to relax on these things. It all depends on who you are, how you look after yourself, your body type. And the and clubs that, will know that better than we will, player. Clive. They they have the that's they have the medical data. They have the I to, I look. I am not disagreeing with you at all. I think it is, it is such a a basic point, really, to distill it down to simply say that when you spend fifty million on a twenty three year old versus spending fifty million on a twenty seven year old, there's different risk profiles associated with it, and they vary by player. Let's move on from it. I think over the years, what will be borne out. Good example is say someone like Alex Oxlade Chamberlain. He's only twenty seven, right in his prime. But look at his injury record. That means he's probably older in his body than than twenty seven. Undeniably, right? so, Jack Wilshere's a great I example. Think, he's he's done. <laughs> I think I think there's something that you know. There's more to it than just saying this is his player, and and that's it. You have to. There's a lot more to it. How a player moves, how they keep their injuries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, what their weight is, how the, what the mechanics is. Someone like a Bamiyang, I I never worried for a second about him. Just looking at him mechanically and physically. You think you know what he may be thirty-one, but really he's twenty-eight. It's just from his body and his injury record, and so it varies on a case by case. And I just think we just need to. Um, I, I just look around. And I just see people say, "Oh, he's too old. He's too old." I think he's I think we're scarred. Old. We're scarred. We are scarred by recent occurrences of player that you spoke about in your in your in your uh, introduction. These scars really bother us because they divide us. Right when we when we spend money and it doesn't work out, and you look at some of our more expensive signings, they haven't really worked out against versus some of our less expensive signings. And I think a lot of us as a fan base, we carry those scars, and that's where the negativity comes in because we're gonna we're about to be paying three hundred fifty thousand pound a week to somebody who may not even be in our Premiership squad. Yeah. Right. So that's where the scars come in. Look. He is not. T- there is no scenario where Thomas Party is too old. There's no scenario where that's the case. None. He is absolutely in the heart of his prime. The only question is whether the fee and the wages to get him right now were too much. But that doesn't change that he comes in in the heart of his prime and will have an impact right away. And Aubameyang is the best example. We paid top dollar. Maybe not top dollar. He could have been a hundred million pounds at one point. But we paid pretty damn near top dollar to get an elite player. And he has performed like an elite player, and that move has been unimpeachably sensational. And if Thomas Party adds in the midfield the kind of elite quality that Aubameyang added in the forward line, we will be a very, very good team for several seasons. And that is certainly the hope. And I think Tim expressed it well, where it's just the point that it has to be that. And I sure hope it will be. So, Clive, Can I- yeah, please. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I just wanted to add, j- just to steer it into like probably a more positive direction um, as well. Like with Abamyang as well, we, we had no plan for Abamyang whatsoever. He's still not playing in his favoured position. You know, we really. had just bought a striker and, the summer before. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it still really worked. On this occasion, we've actually got a coach who has really vouched for this player, who presumably has a real plan to use him. So, like, I don't think Thomas, I don't think we're going to be flitting Thomas Partey around like on the left wing or on the right wing like we you know we have with Aubameyang and even with Pepe like we bought this really good player who we have no 
you know we don't know how to use i don't think that's the, the case on this occasion this is i've got this is a manager who knows what he wants from his team knows what he wants from this player yeah and and uh gunnersaurus wailing in the background was very topical i thought um look i'd just like to wade in here to try and steer things in a positive direction after tim got involved there um, the one thing I would like to add is I'm quite heartened that Atletico Madrid did not want to sell this player for the release clause and they need money, right? And, you know, they know all about him. They know what he can do. They know his physical uh, state. So while I'm I'm basically with you, Elliot, I do console myself that this was the last thing Atletico Madrid wanted. So that makes me think we might kind of sort of have have fallen into value here, especially I, if he can provide I, a platform for everybody else. I have to ask something because I think I'm taking crazy pills. And I noticed this yesterday. Since when has a little bit of circumspection become equated with negativity? Like, yeah, I, I don't get it. I think Thomas Party is a good player. I think he makes us better. I cannot be any more unequivocal in my conclusion that Thomas Party is an improvement on what we have in an area of the pitch we desperately need an improvement. Circumspection based on the deal and some questions based on squad building that do not diminish my belief in the quality of the player is not negativity. And I do think we, we, you know, we have a podcast where we have debates and conversations. I think they're so interesting. I say all the time, what do I say? The, the, the chats we have on Twitter and in Discord and on the, on the podcast, I love them. And I love them because we, we, try to get into the, the details. We get granular, and I love that. But like, I noticed this on Twitter yesterday, and, and I get it. Look, sometimes it's about reading the room. We just made a massive signing on deadline day at a left field, rescued the window, brought in a player people are excited about. Read the room. Just be happy. And, uh, and I am. So, Clive, fr- from a footballing standpoint, you know, midfield has been a real problem. And I think, you, you, as you know, I rate Danny Ceballos very, very highly. And in that period against Sheffield United, when we're in the back four in the midfield two, and I'm looking on that pitch, and Williams playing between the lines, and I'm saying, um, he, can, he can ape that OR role. He's not OR, but he can do it. And, you know, Saka can drift in and do it, and Pepe can drift in and do it. But, boy, would we be better if it wasn't El Nenny partnering Ceballos. And sure enough, now it is not going to be. So that Ceballos uh, party double pivot, is that, in your view now, <clears throat> especially now that we've seen William take up that sort of midfield three role, four two three one role, does this unlock a, a path to more back four, or do you think we can still be fluid because a party Ceballos double pivot in a back three works just as well? I mean, how how much flexibility does this give this? And and do you think it is a natural conclusion that it'll be Ceballos and party that we move to basically right away? I think that balance looks quite nice, uh, left and right. It looks quite good. Uh, we got we got more of a small space player and a bigger space player. We got range of pass. We got carrying, press resistant players. So it looks quite nice. I, I you know, on paper it looks, but you know, don't discount Shaka and Elneny. I think they perform similar type roles, not quite as good, uh, not quite as um, manipulative when it comes to moving the ball. They're a little bit more limited. But they have the base skills that Arteta seems to want, and whenever whatever he's done, you know, during his flexibility and moving things around and having hybrid players, I think almost every game he's pumped maybe one. He's played a double pivot, so he likes to have that player, those players around there as almost release valves to receive the ball. And what they do with it from there on in is down to their individual quality. And I felt. Particularly in Liverpool game, the first Liverpool game, I think we really left goals on the pitch. And I felt we left them because we didn't have the ability 
to play the passes that were on. And I felt that at the time when I said to you, you know, I, for one of the first times I started to look at Shaka and I started to key on him. And it's it, the next game he wasn't playing, right? So he was substituted there and then he wasn't playing. And I really felt there was opportunities. And when I was watching Aston Villa at the weekend playing at Liverpool, they, they played those passes. John McGinn played those passes. And they were in and through. Mm. We didn't have the ability to do it. So... We always go and pick the first 11s like we do, and I think those two look like two-to-one favourites to start the bigger games and the more difficult games from a talent perspective, but things change very quickly in football. But yeah, I'm glad that we've got players that can play the passes to our forwards in different ways, off both feet, just do more things with the ball, and I think we've really missed that. I felt for many years we've turned away from opportunities. We've been a top-loaded team with strikers that are expensive and on high wages and you know, good strikers. And I think we've turned away from them on many occasions to go square and go around. Mm. And I'm hoping that these guys can can get there. And I know we get criticised for shots. I think only six or seven shots in the game that we haven't spoken about yet. <laughs> but um, but I think some of that comes from the, the limitations of our deeper midfielders. And I'm hoping that changes going forward along with um, the, particularly the ability for both of those players to go from left to right. I think that's going to be something that we need to see more of because we've got, I've got, I've got hopes on Pepe really developing. I think in this game, Sheffield United, I think we saw a right side really, really kick off. And that was interesting how we did that. So yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. It's just a quality lift. I mean, I this is a player you really lift. wanted. I mean, so you've got to be pretty excited well, about what he brings. I want to see. I, I think, I think it's a very good player, right? So, but I really want to see the quality. And I, and I don't think we fans realise what we haven't had. Mm. And I'm just hoping, beyond hope, that he is exactly what I think he is. Because I think as soon as we see it, it's going to become really apparent what we haven't had for many years. You know, we've had ball-playing midfielders, we've had controlling midfielders, but we haven't had somebody that says that wants to own the area, go and engage, run through people, run around people. I'm not talking about a wrecking ball here. I'm talking about a, a proper midfielder that understands what he needs to do to to win the jewels in his space and then use the ball very quickly and very effectively. And I, and I think he's a, he's a a good example of that player that I've seen really and the first time I saw him I felt the same immediately I thought D, we need this guy and I look around I've looked around at other YouTubes like I do with similar type players and I just haven't seen one as good as him I thought we wouldn't get him because I, cause I do agree you know I do think he's a bit expensive but I'm saying that because I carry the same scars I want to I want to stop myself from doing that I want to start thinking about what he brings football wise because I think that's the most important thing we I know you're saying introspecting is good. Yes, it is good. But sometimes we need to look at the football pitch and just see what someone can do or he can't do and what he needs to do and what he does to enable other players to be better and things like that. And that's where my brain is primarily, I suppose. I've got a bit of frustration there. No, it's totally not everyone, fair. Not, everyone, not everyone's in the same place as me. That's no, it's, it's yeah, and you know what I want? What I don't want, Clive, is I don't want us to just keep celebrating everything and then scratching our head when it doesn't work and say, well, we never could have seen that coming. 
Um, and so there have been times, certain moves, moves like, you know, Cedric would be an example where I just had to stop and say, okay, I don't get this. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't look right to me. Not because I know better, just because I don't want us to be in a situation where all we ever do is praise moves right. and then a year later wonder why they didn't work out. If you look at... I think, mm-hmm. I think I will say one more thing. I, think I, I don't want to make out that we're cheer, cheerleading, right? Because yeah, when, when you look <laughs> at Gabriel, we all like him. He looks fantastic. Then now we're looking at Pablo Marie and wondering. Right? Mm-hmm. This, just like he did with Fort Lacazette, then we buy a Bamiyang. We're wondering. So the club is not perfect, everything it does, you know, because both of those moves could be questioned. <clears throat> you know, we've got two centre-forwards and we've got two left-footed centre-backs. And now we're playing one of the centre-fours out on the left wing. Okay, he's got, he's got a golden boot in his back pocket, but it's not optimal with many people think that way. So I'm not saying the club's perfect, but one day on, I think it's a lot football-wise to um, to enjoy about this one, and I hope I'm right. I hope I hope he does well because it is important to where we need to go. It's important for the manager, right? And that's the most important thing because I think he's talented, and I hope he gets his one right because you judge him on the, on his first employees he brings into the office, and this is somebody he obviously wanted. So I hope it works out for him. Yeah, being excited about a move is not being a cheerleader, and being circumspect about a move is not being doomy or negative. You can look at the club and say. Two strikers in back-to-back windows, didn't get a fee for Lexus, didn't get a fee for Ramsey, re-signed Ozil, three right backs, two left, four left. What do we have? Nine, nine center backs on our books right now. And you could say there's reason to question some of the things the club do, and it would be silly not to. You could turn around and look the other way and and see the things we've done brilliantly, see the moves we made. That the Tierney move is brilliant to bringing Sack along, what's happening with the academy, getting Obama Yang when, when we didn't look favored, you know, getting party done. Um, you know, bringing Ceballos back on loan, which is a great cost-effective move to help an area of the pitcher we're struggling. Gabrielle looks incredibly savvy of a move. You know, when you look at what other clubs have spent on on that, what looks to be that caliber of center back. So you, you can look at all of the dimensions, and there are many dimensions on which this operates on. I'd just rather look at all of them than just look at one of them. Um, Paul, I think one of the really interesting things with Party is not just what he unlocks for us structurally. I, I mean, look, there's just no way around it. Granite Shaka has good ball progression, but he doesn't have that mobility. Party has the ball progression, but he's not someone you can just press and take it off him. He lost the ball hardly ever from Atletico, but, but beside, beside uh, regardless of the fact that he was among the highest touch players in their entire squad. So always on the ball, never losing it. And that makes it difficult because if you look at what Liverpool did to us, if you look at these games, they target Shaka or they target El Nenny, uh, pardon me, they target Shaka. And they leave El Nenny, but you can't target Party and leave Ceballos, and you can't target Ceballos and leave Party, and so it, it it should give us more room to operate in midfield. And one of the things I'm really curious to see is what the Arteta impact is for Party versus what the Simeone impact was. Was Simeone emphasizing? Um, was he emphasizing? careful passes? Was he emphasizing safe passes? Was he emphasizing ball security? Was he emphasizing defensive solidity? What what is it about Simeone's tactic? Because he, he is an incredibly unique manager in terms of the types of, type of football he wants him to play. If you look at party for uh, Ghana, he's got nine goals in his last 2,000 or so minutes. He's got three for Atletico in that same period. So I know this is pure speculation, Paul, but if you had to speculate... Do you think that there are dimensions of Party's game that we may see more of that have been restrained by the type of football that he's been playing uh, for Atletico Madrid? Yeah, I think so. I think um, for the reasons you just laid out there, uh, he's going to have license. Uh, we're going to have more possession. 
we're hopefully we're going to be further up the field. Hopefully, uh, we're going to move more to a a uh, progressive style of football than we've been able to for a little while. Um, and I think what we'll what I I'm guessing we'll see is I mean Simeone has a very structured style of play, whereas I think what we'll say is Danny and Partey, you mostly kind of work out your balance between you. Um, and, you know, they're going to be a very interesting mix for the reasons you, you laid out there. They're both press resistant. Uh, the both, uh, I mean, Partey, for, especially for big guys, quick feet, quick mover, quick distribution. Um, so he's going to provide lots of problems. And I don't think you can legislate how those two players play. They're going to find a particular balance on the pitch that will ebb and flow with the nature of the game. And Partey is going to find himself in uh, plenty of situations that he wasn't historically finding himself uh, at at uh, uh, Atletico Madrid. So he's going to get he's going to have a chance to get forward. He's going to have a chance to get into the box uh, more so than he did before. Um, and he'll just he's a pretty complete. It's probably I think he's a pretty complete player, but it makes him sound like he's polished and refined and um i think he can do a bit of everything um he has his strengths he's not polished but uh he's incredibly impactful and uh he's going to have a personality that changes how other teams approach us he's going to create space for us in midfield just because you don't screw a party um in a way that you know granite's a Pretty big guy, but he doesn't really know how to use it. He he he's not mobile enough that he actually ever really used his physique beyond kind of shielding the ball. Uh, Partey is going to clear spaces for other places for other players, and people are going to back off him because they don't want to be embarrassed. Really good dribbler, he'll go. You know, Chaka isn't a bad has a is a high percentage dribbler, but he's not a high volume dribbler. You know, he he'll trick his way past past a player and lay it off. But Partey will embarrass you and go up the field. Uh, him and Danny are both really good dribblers. Um, I think they're going to clear out a space in the middle of the, the pitch that that uh, makes other play, other midfields back off and will allow him to get forward and do interesting things. And he won't be the guy who sits all the time. We've, we've seen Danny likes to uh, drop deep and pick up the uh, ball. I think they'll be kind of little and large doing in some ways, very similar things in slightly different ways. But, you know, people compare Partey and Chaka. I think they should probably uh, compare Partey and Danny. I think they're very similar, uh, totally different physical attributes, but they'll do a lot of similar things in how we play. And it's going to be fun to watch them find their own balance. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And, and I know we're about to lose you, Clive. Um, so do, do you want to just have a sort of final word of how you'd like to see him set up uh, initially and like a la- just a last word before we let you go? Or, or, or not, you know, totally your point. <laughs> Sorry, I was on me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I think I've said enough. I think, um, I think, I, I do think, actually, I know we have to speak about party, but I, I do think, you know, what he can do on that right-hand side. We spent 120 million nearly on two players that are going to play on that one centre mid and one right wing. 
And I do think the two the movies linked. I do think that right hand side has been underpowered. I do expect it to be more powered now going forward. And uh, I think this game against Sheffield United was a real indicator of that and how we use that side and we use both sides and in all the recent games, you know, over many months, I haven't seen that sort of duality and how we attack down both sides. So that's interesting. That's an interesting development. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna aid that and Again, more importantly, you know, football, you know, we look back in the days when we were a dominant team and we just took it for granted. And we, we've lacked dominance for many years. And dominance has an effect on other players. It has an effect on your own players, how they feel psychologically and emotionally on the pitch. And when they have people around them like Gabriel, like Aubameyang, like, um, like Party, I think it's going to make other people feel bigger, stronger, more, less risk-averse. I think we're going to see more potential for some of our younger players. So, yeah, I do think it's a it's a step forward. And I do take Tim's point, this has to work, but Pepe has to work. You know, Aubameyang mustn't get crocked like he needed in this every night game. There's a lot of financial investment in this team that's very, you know, we feel like it's very important because the world is going for a very interesting time. But it's quite interesting. I read an article that Miguel Delaney wrote today. I can't remember the exact numbers. But a Premier League club's managed to spend more money in this window than the previous summer window. And so people are recognising there's an opportunity out there right now that you have to accept, you have to take. And there'll be other opportunities where we need to loan people to build value. And that's what we try to do in this window. And I think the real balance in that will be next summer when we lose over £600,000 of wages off of our wage bill. We're going to see people walk away because we're going to take advantage of what the previous regime gave them. So we've still got a way to go before we financially reset and get ready for a rebuild. A real rebuild is next summer. That's when those dead bodies that are hiding in the squad right now and trying to not answer their agent's phone they are going to have to go. And when they go, then we can really do something with the, the new numbers or pay the debt that we've racked up from the stage payments, etc. So a little while to go, but this is an encouraging first step on being you know, a pretty balanced football team. So I look forward to it. Both Party and Ceballos have good ball-winning statistics. Um, not necessarily high-volume tackles, but interceptions and recoveries. I think if you have two players that can go forward and drop back and, and recover the ball then they each have a little bit of freedom to go do what they want to do and they can trust their partner more. But I think to your point, Clive, we don't need to play with um, training wheels on. We don't need to play with guardrails on. I don't think you need Tierney as a, a, a left-sided center back to hide Shaka's liabilities a little bit. You know, I, I don't think you need that extra player who can fill the, fill the space that's vacated. Um, they can cover ground a little more. They can recover the ball a little more. And then I, I think that frees you up to play more expansive football. And, you know, I think both Ceballos and Party can break lines. Uh, Shaka can do it as well, but he really likes to play it out to the wings. Party does that also. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have very high XG chain, which means he's not his passes aren't always contributing to goal-scoring actions as much. But I think there could be a Simeone impact there too. I think these guys are really going to be a great pairing. I hope that is the pairing because I think... There's a lot of complementary qualities to them that are go- that's going to make it difficult for defenses to decide how they want to key on us. So I look forward to that, and I think that p- the press resistance it gives us is great. You know what else it gives us, though, by the way? I think one of the reasons this move makes a lot of sense to me 
is I think it makes us so much better playing out from the back. Because when we played out from the back, some of the brilliant goals we've had recently playing out from the back, a lot of it starts with Ceballos getting the ball top of the box under pressure, but being able to turn and face and progress it. And now you have two players who can do that and break the lines from the center of the pitch deep in their own defensive third. I think that gives us a lot of flexibility playing out from the back. It makes us a very interesting team. And I'm really excited to see that part of it. Clive, I guess you got to run, right? I do. Got okay. a game tonight. Yep. Uh, good luck to you, coach. Have a good one. We'll, uh, I'll chat with you tomorrow for the uh, scouting video on party, which I think will be illuminating. So uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. Okay. So, Tim, um, I think I, I want to tease out just a few more details of this and then maybe just summarize the window a little bit before we, we just get to some final odds and ends. But, uh, you know, do you want to just quickly sort of talk about the kind of football you think this lets us play? I mean, I, I think El Nenny, we know his limitations, not very progressive. You know, he's he's a TikTok player, right? He's metronomic, but not a lot of ambition, not a lot of, of elusiveness. Granite Shaka, a little more progressive, but in the specific zones, definitely no elusiveness, very uh, suspect under pressure. Party, I think, gives you that that flexibility I was talking about. Do you, do you see it the way I do in terms mm. of not only enabling our play out from the back to be more variable and dynamic, but also giving more freedom to play expansive football, not having to have the the guardrails of someone to protect, you know, the the space that that Shaka for example might be leaving behind him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I was really interested in that I I guess I didn't really know until yesterday um, was the uh, was how many different systems Party played in uh, for Atletico Madrid? So because I, I think when you sign an Atleti player, there's always that anxiety of well, actually Simeone plays in a very specialised way, but um, actually, actually has used a few different formations in recent years. And and to be fair, if you're going to take anyone like like so taking Griezmann from Atleti, that's difficult because he did play a very spe- like specialized role for them that's that's maybe difficult to translate if you're going to take anything if you're going to take anything off La- Atleti take one of their central midfielders because that's um you know that that's that stuff you can translate i think into there are qualities there that you can translate into other systems because even if you take their center backs right you kind of look at it and go, yeah, but they, they, you know, they usually play like a deep block, and you know, can can they play that kind of, um, you know, that high line or whatever? Assuming that's what you want to do, but if if you want to take one guy um, whose attributes really seem to translate, then then I think this is the guy really, and and the fact that he was able to do it in a number of different Simeone formations, I, I think, does give us that. Um, I think it really does give us that variety. And I was thinking earlier, you know, um, when, when I was reading about that, I was thinking, well, actually looking at, you know, Arteta talked about being able to play different systems. Um, and we've we've kind of, we've I think we've got the 3-4-3 pretty much nailed now. I think we probably suspect, and I reckon Arteta suspects this as well, that that's really, that's one to keep in the cupboard for the big games. You know, go to City and play that you know, go to Liverpool and play that, blah, blah, et cetera. But we need to find a different way against other opponents. Um, but I, I was even thinking like, like party played in a four, four, two, you know, for Atleti and, and, and that's an option that's on the table for Arsenal. Um, I mean, I, I guess you could ask the question as to whether if you're going to play four, four, two in this day and age, you, you really need both your strikers to be brilliant pressers. And I'm not sure a Bamiang is that, um, I don't think he's bad at it, but, you know that that maybe needs some tweaking, but 
I, I think from what I from what I've heard and what I've read about Party, he can play in a two or a three. Um, can play in that double pivot. He can sit. He can go forward. He can drive forward. That for me is the most interesting thing here, regardless of what system we're playing, how versatile it makes us, whether it you know it stops that kind of the thing you were describing about ganging up on players. The most valuable attribute I can think of with everything I've read about Thomas Party is his ability to drive the ball forward. And and the stat I read yesterday in La Liga last season, 57 out of 64 take-ons completed, 89% success rate. Mm -hmm. The Arsenal midfielder that came closest to that was Ceballos with 27. So he's more than doubling, um, you know, and, and that's our best central midfielder in that respect and these are the players that we've missed for ages that we haven't really replaced the Wilshires, Cazorlas, Iwobis, Sanchez's, Chamberlains, the Dribblers. We haven't relate we haven't replaced those players for a long, long time. And that's what I'm most excited about here. And that's why um for me, yeah, okay, you can say that him and our have, have different profiles and one's more of like a an advanced state, an attacking ten. I, I'm not really that exercised about where party starts. Um, that sounds weird, doesn't it? <laughs> about, <laughs> Where does the party the start? Starts. In midfield. <laughs> <laughs> so whether he's like deep in the double pivot or whether he's number eight or six or whatever, if he's getting that ball and he's driving it forward, I don't give a shit if it starts on the edge of, the, of our six-yard box. That's what I want. Like as long as... It, cause so Tim, um, those are per-season numbers, right? So if yeah, Danny yeah. had had a full season, they yeah, might true. be quite close in terms of take-ons. Which comes back to the Maybe. fascinating idea that they're actually, in many respects, the most similar players we we can pair up in yeah, midfield. Yeah, yeah definitely. It could be really interesting to see how they find this balance because they do a lot of the same things. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it it seems like maybe in a, in a in a slightly different way. It really yeah. does seem like parties more of that. I am absolutely going to take you on. Um, and that's probably going to be my first thought when I get the ball. Um, it's not a case of, oh, well, I can take you on if I have to. It's more, no, that's what I want to do. Um, and, and yeah, and because, and you know, that's just as effective a way of, as, as long as you're getting the ball into advanced positions, it doesn't matter whether you're spanking them from 70 yards like David Luiz or you're, you're, gently stroking them from the center circle or you're just you're just dribbling through or powering through or tricking your way through as long as the ball bloody gets there that's the problem for arsenal at the moment mm. um and and that's what enthuses me most about so whatever system he plays in where whether how deep he starts or whatever that's that's really what i want to see him doing uh, and yes, to your point, I, th I think he could do that in any number of systems or formations by the sounds of it. You know what's interesting, too? I, th I think he plays 92 or 93% of his passes with his right foot. And if we're shifting from Shaka to Party, and if Party's going to play on the left, now he might play on the right and Danny on the left, but they're both fairly right-footed. I mean, Danny's a little more two-footed. But um, do you think that maybe will help us balance out that left side bias and access the right a little more? Because mm -hmm. obviously is going to want to spin it up the left side, Paul, whereas now, you know, Party might be more inclined to look at, at Pepe coming into the channel or, you know, over the top to, to Pepe running in behind, whereas that, that ball, for Shaka to get it to Pepe running in behind is very difficult. He's got to touch it, shift it, get it on the left, swing a sort of outswinger, if you follow me, to Pepe, whereas, whereas the through ball to Pepe 
or, or William, I suppose, but let, let's hope Pepe. <laughs> um, the through ball from Party across the pitch and behind. I mean, that that's on for him. That's that's more going to fit him if he's whether he's on the left or right. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think uh, you know, I think we think of Danny as a right-sided player, but I kind of like him on the left, and it allows him to get up to the that left pocket just outside of the box where he loves, where he's made most of his triangles in his career, just outside of the box on the left-hand side. Um, so I think that could suit them well, and it, maybe the the there was recognition from. Uh, Arteta in our last game, starting um, El Neni uh, in the in to mirror image what Chaka does and did, dropping into the the left back position. That we need some some flexibility, su- some surprise. I mean, he talked about uh, studying Wilder and studying Sheffield United for a couple of years, and he comes out with this different system uh, to to give them a different look they weren't expecting. So I think he recognizes you can't be that predictable where we're always playing up the left, that we have options we're not using. We've seen games, I remember the Crystal Palace game last year, where we had uh, Pepe and Ozil off to the right who never saw the ball because Chaka and co were in the uh, diametrically opposed corner trying to get the ball upfield and and, you know, everybody was saying, oh, you know, Ozil didn't do much and Pepe didn't do much that game. You know, Crystal Palace were very organized, but they were also isolated by the fact that distribution was on the very far di- diametrically opposed corner of the pitch and they were never seeing the ball. So you need those options. And um, there, we may see this weird looking symmetry with Danny and um, uh, Partey. Uh, being able to do basically very similar things from midfield and mix it up. And, uh, you know, they they can quite easily and comfortably swap sides, uh, as you see with wingers occasionally doing. Those two could do it all day long. And now you're mixing up the opponent's midfield. and the But you're doing similar kinds of things with different players, with different physical um, uh, attributes, giving different problems to the opposition in terms of how they match them up in the midfield. Um, I think it's because of that, I think it's by far the most interesting combination of players in our midfield. And yeah, it's going to balance up our side that we don't have to do weird and wonky things to cover uh, Chaka's weaknesses so we can leverage his his strengths, Mm. basically. Let me ask you a question, though. And I... I think this is the this is the hard part because I, I again I do want to be positive about this move. Mm-hmm. Should we at least have considered before making this move? And again, it's just because you got to look at the totality of the situation. Mm-hmm. Should we have considered how insufferable the puns are going to be? It yes. It, it just I mean Tim, can we really? I mean, is there? Can we get the fans together? Can we get journalists together? Can we have some agreement? that you get to use the puns for like a week or two and then they have to stop. How, what should the grace period be on the puns and, and how many is too many? I, I think um, myself and I've very much con- more than contributed to this. I, I think a bit like Paul with the Y scout account. Um, we, we've, we've maxed it out. I, look, I, I'm not entirely au fait with like Ghanaian naming um, customs, um, but you know he's he's got Thomas on the back of his shirt, 
and and maybe that's because he is sick of them as well you know a bit like um when johan cruyff's son jordi cruyff uh, used to play he used to have jordi on the back of his shirt not cruyff because he was sick of the comparison and maybe that's why thomas party has thomas on the back of his shirt which one's going to get oldest first arteta's having a party it's party time um you know arsenal party at the emirates part party on you know, i mean what what's What's going to be the one that's the tipping point? It's my point? party, and I'll cry if I want to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could see that one being one that, that if it goes wrong, okay. certainly could come up. Um, You've got to fight for your right to party. You know, it's, yeah. it's endless. Mm, yeah, I mean... Um, I've got to give myself some credit, right? Like, people think uh, I think I'm this jokester or whatever. All right, a lot of people think I'm just not funny. But I don't think I've yet made a party pun in my whole feckin' party party existence pursuit i think right from the get-go i thought that's not bloody funny Mm. i mean is it possible like what if he's just really industrious and like works really hard he's just a really hard worker on the pitch could it go so far and get bad enough where it's like arsenal's labor party or something like that um you know could, could could you wind up with something that bad i don't know i just think i think it could go to a really bad dark place and we need to be careful i mean look insert party pun here and let it go from there. Let's all, after we post this on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, just reply to this tweet with one party pun. We'll have the whole freaking list, and then we just stop. I think that has to be agreed on. Let's start to... Would, uh, this, would yeah. this help any, Elliot? Mm-hmm. His name is not Parte. It's Pate, according to a Ghanaian yesterday. And that doesn't really make for great puns. Makes for mm. one or two, maybe. But they die out real quick. We just, you know, like all that work you put into pronouncing awach, um, we just need to pronounce it as Pate. Except then then you're going to have all the goose liver um, jokes. Yeah, yeah. And the, yeah, but how many like goose liver puns? Them. Yeah. There's two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so look, we, we've got him in. I'm really excited. I, I do think it gives us... It's great for two reasons, because when we have to play the back three in the big games, which I think works for us, we still have more elusiveness, more escapability, more counterattacking capability uh, when we're under pressure. When we want to play the back four, which hopefully we'll do in the smaller games, I think it's harder for teams to target us. I think it's harder for them to force us just back to the center backs, horseshoe passing, things like that. Um, I think we've covered the fact that the deal itself is something that has questions around it that we will start to be able to discuss more over time based on his performance. I think we've covered the issue of of why there's a, a conversation about age and why there isn't. Look, for whatever the reason, people tend to retreat into their corners sometimes, and, and I get that. I think it is possible to be excited, very excited to watch the football that we are going to play with him at the club and still try to poke at some of the questions we poked at this episode, and hopefully that doesn't piss people off too much, but I know it will, so I'm sorry. Um... Hopefully you enjoyed I, the, li- the live just, stream yesterday and you forgive us because we put in four hours of live content for you. But yeah, go, go ahead, Tim. Can I, ju- can I just add to that? Because I, I, well, I don't feel responsible. I am responsible for taking the conversation that way. Um, you know, like I, I just I, I guess I wanted to table those things a little bit. But re- like rest assured, I'm not sitting there like sitting in a dark room at night going, God, we just signed a 27 year old. I, I have a very strict policy of not getting depressed about things that haven't happened yet. Um, and it's the same with fucking starting lineups when I see them before games. Mm. I have a policy of not getting upset about things that haven't happened yet. So, Elliot, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I wanted, I just, I wanted to table it because I think it's, it's interesting, and I, I stand by what I said. But at the same time, like I'm not, I'm not kind of sitting there, kind of, 
you know, biting my thumb, um, as it were. You know, it's tough. It's tough because, like, I look at the Emery Pods, right? Like, we did Emery Pod 1, and we gave our unvarnished, honest opinion of it. And people got yeah, yeah. very mad at and, us. And we so, were right. And we, so we came back and we gave a varnished opinion of it that made people happier. But like at the end of the day, um, the, the truth is like there is a balance. You shouldn't just for the sake of being right, like try to be a, a miserable bastard all the time because you're going to be right sometime and wrong sometimes. Like I think it is fair to want to balance enjoying good things and being happy while also having an analytical element to what you are doing where you engage your brain and say, here are some of the ways that I have question marks. And I, I don't think we need to caveat it beyond that. Let, let's finish up just with some summaries of the window. Um, Paul, I want to do American Letter Grades because the Arscast did numbers out of 10, and I only want to copy them so much, not more mm -hmm. than, than necessary. Yeah. And thanks to Andrew, by the way, for coming on the live stream yesterday. Really appreciate that. If you missed it and want to watch it, by the way, four hours of content to fill your day, it's on YouTube, and you can watch it there. Um, Paul, what... Uh, what would you grade the window as an American letter grade and maybe just give your reasoning behind that? Uh, so there's incomings and outgoings, right? Um, that is, that given... is presumably how the transfer window works, yes, unless there is another <laughs> criteria, uh, upcomings and downgoings. I don't, I don't know. Listen, you smart arts. So are we given, uh, I mean, it's a different grade for both. I mean, the outgoings is shite. Uh, okay, so, so give me your outgoing letter grade and, and your incoming letter grade. I didn't want to do that because the ArsCast did that, but I guess we're just going to go fully copy them. So here we go. Copyright yeah. ArsCast 2020. Go for it. I, I think the outgoings is an F. Um, now, an asterisk because it's just an absolutely ugly window. So it it's far from all on the club. Um, it's screwed up, but we've done terribly. We sold Emmy Martinez, and that's largely down to Emmy Martinez. We chose not to sell Maitland Knobs, which I'm personally delighted about, but it's probably a terrible decision. Um, uh, from a financial standpoint, we may be delighted we have them in a few years' time. We've managed to basically sell nobody. Um, Ganduzi, a mess. You know, we. It, um, you know, one of the advantages of working with super agents is they can get shit done in markets when nobody else can get anything done because like weird shit happens like with Jorge Mendez. There's a plus, there's a minus to it. Overall, I'm glad we don't, we seem to have stepped away from that world in large part. But a window like this is a window in which they can, not that they ever did a lot for us in terms of outcomings, outgoings, but that's kind of why you get involved with not necessarily super agents, but good agents who can make who can grease the skids, you know, those wartime guys who can get you your contraband, you know, that shady looking guy in the, the cool suit who who can get you stockings and cigarettes and, and chocolate and shit. Um, so there's a reason to be good at working with agents. We just weren't very good at working with them. Anyway, tough market. Nobody got much going. Well, not nobody, but most clubs didn't. So an F on the way out. Coming in, again, get asterisk because it's, it's a tough market, but I think probably uh, I'm going to ignore the financial side of it because uh, it gets really complicated. I mean, I don't, it's a, I don't think it's a super high grade if I have to, to factor in the financial deal of Part A, but I think it's kind of a B plus. Um, I think we got Arteta enough of what he needs to be successful going going forward this season um, in a tough market. So I'd say a B plus on the way in and an F on the way out. Mm. I, You know what's tough? If you 
Look at our window in the context of money. It's an A++++++ because we're losing hundreds of millions of pounds and we signed a 50 million pound player and put him on big wages. Like clearly we have tapped into money that we don't have on the basis of uh, revenue. If you're going to buy- I would into not this- have guessed we would have done this based on who we thought Arsenal and the Crankies were a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, look, we didn't fund this out of- out of revenues or profits. If you want to believe in this quote-unquote self-sustaining model, that's not where this money came from. If you want to grade the window purely on need, it's like a C because we got one thing done we had to do, which is a central midfield upgrade. Great. We got defensive reinforcements, although you know we'll get to the outgoings. We have nine defenders, <laughs> central defenders in, on our, on our uh, books. But I think we needed that creative midfielder. So I think Awar and Party is the A+, and doing one of the two things we clearly needed to do. Now you could say, well, Willian is the, the budget, short-term Awar-type role for us, and, and maybe he is, and maybe that'll work out. So maybe, maybe that changes it a little bit. I mean, And Gabriel. No, no, no. I, look, I said we, we addressed... He's a great acquisition. Um, I, I think yeah. center-back would look a lot better in the context of outgoings. Um, because we just have too many of them now. <laughs> but but yes, I, I agree that he looks excellent and that looks like great business. I mean, Tim, in terms of your letter grade for incomings and outgoings, how do you how do you do this? It's it's a tough needle to thread given that mm. there were things we needed to do we didn't do in my view, but the fact that we did anything yeah. in the in the context of what's happening economically is sort of encouraging to begin with. So so which side do you yeah. fall on? We didn't do enough or that we did anything as a miracle? <laughs> And well, a little bit in between and because they're linked, aren't they? Because I I think um, B on the incomings is absolutely fair because I think whatever you think personally of the signings, Arsenal got nearly everything they wanted done, done. I think in the dream scenario, they get our as well. The reason they didn't get that is because of the outgoings. Um, if they sell even one of Torreira, Genduzzi, um, or, or even just get some wages off the books, they might have been able to do both. So it's difficult to divorce them. And also, um, you know, not to dredge up the discussion we had at the beginning of the podcast, you know, you you can view the the financial aspect of it in in two different ways. Um, you could say that makes it worse that we've like probably overspent, and not for the first time in recent years. And and look, I understand that. They, they probably didn't have much choice if they really want to go back into the top four. They couldn't not. Um, but at the same time, we might be hang, hamstringing ourselves. Um, I, I'd, I'd give I'd give incomings a solid B, um, not a minus or a plus. Yeah, outgoings F has to be. And and uh, I won't repeat what Paul said because I I completely agree those caveats exist. Where it's not it's the club's fault for having so many players they want to offload, but the state of the market is not their fault. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think we, we discussed this in previous podcasts. If you wanted to push the boat out and, and spend a lot of money that you don't have, this would be when to do it. There's no FFP right now because it's an FFP holiday. Other clubs aren't able to spend as much. I mean, Chelsea notwithstanding, but we've seen clubs maybe be a little more careful in the market. Uh, the market is depressed, certainly, in the other leagues, maybe not as much in the Premier League, but it is down, I think, down 15%, and it'd be a lot more if Chelsea hadn't spent like crazy. So... You could have distanced yourself a little bit from the crowd if if you went out and you did a bunch of deals, but I don't think any of us expect Kroenke to run the club that way. So I find myself torn between thinking we missed an opportunity and thinking I'm just glad we did anything at all and the thing we did is pretty exciting and, and, and is a big, big move. The outgoings is problematic. So, I mean, 
on our books now, we have Mavropano, Saliba, Gabriel, Louise, Mustafi, Socrates, Chambers, Holding, um, Marie. It, it's a lot. We have Cedric and Maitland-Niles both backing up Hector Bellerin. Probably a little bit overkill there. You might say there's two players we're going to have to not even register for our Premier League and Europa League team. Uh, the Europa League side of that, we should know literally around the time I hit stop on recording this. So you do wonder, had we made a sale, had we taken the Wolves' bid for Maitland-Niles, do we do two deals instead of one? It's speculation, and it you know it's it's easy to say, yes, we would have, but I, I'm, I'm not convinced. Having said that, the outgoings probably needed to be better. Uh, I do wonder if we'll loan someone maybe down the leagues because the championship loan window, I think, is still open. Uh, Smithrow hasn't featured at all for the team yet. I know he's he's dealing with injuries. I wonder what we'll do with him this season. Reese Nelson, there was a loan in Newcastle, I think. Speculator, was that a... That was holding, actually. I apologize. But, you know, we'll we'll see what happens with him. Very interesting. Very interesting times. And, and I think we... I, I'm reluctant to do this. You know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to address... Well, yeah, I am. I am going to do it. <laughs> Paul... I want to just quickly touch on this, but not on the Mesodozo PR side of it. I, I don't want to get into that. It is a morass, and there is no there's no way of dis- discussing it that won't make someone feel that it's agenda driven and hateful and ugly and bad. And I just don't just don't want to, because because who, who's gonna who's gonna enjoy that? But the decision to to let the employee who plays Gunnersaurus go. If I ran a business school, I'd teach a whole course on this. It's such a trash move. And I, I guess what I would say is like, you hardly save any money. The timing of it is thoroughly indefensible. And it's not a guy that's just going to slip through the cracks. It is an iconic part of the club that people are going to notice going. Now you could say, oh, it's just until the fans are back in the stadium. But like, is there any upside to the club doing this? Whatever money they save, I mean, they could save it 80 different ways. And I, I guess what I would say, Paul, is what what's the upside? What, what how does the club benefit from this apart from just the most de minimis economic uh, help? I mean, it it seems like the worst possible move imaginable. Look, um, it there's not a lot of things that that like make me a bit sad. Um, well, maybe there are. This is one of them, um, which is weird. But he's just such a part of the club. Uh, I mean, mascots are a symbol. So guess what? He's a symbol. Uh, And he's a symbol for the connection of the club with the supporters. Um, Your question, was there any positive aspect to it? Um, I mean, I I think it was a bad move PR-wise, a bad move in, in many ways. The only thing I can say about it is maybe if you're the CEO in a club and you've got a, a hundreds and hundreds of employees and you are having to let them go and some of these people have have a lot of work that actually they're doing for the the club, but you're kind of reorganizing it, you're reallocating it and you know, you've got Gunnersaurus, you've got Jerry, and he, he can't really be new, be utilized at the time. And, you um, you know, you can't risk him. You can't risk, you know, what would you send him off to do, to meet up with kids in a public place? So it's kind of it's kind of this weird falseness to keep him on while you're letting other people go. And there might have been a sense in which, uh, to look at your other employees in the face, 
you you can't you kind of have this situation where you've got to, what would the term you got to be equitable in how uh, people are treated and this is consistent so that's the only part of it uh, that I'm thinking from an inter you know why did Arsenal think this was the right thing to do as opposed to hey we could save a few more was this just about a few Bob given that you're talking about Jerry and Gunnar Source and how integral they are to the club I actually think this might have been a hard decision for them internally not an easy financial decision it's probably very emotional all around um, I mean he's part of the fabric so why did they do it was it just a harsh cold decision well it was certainly that at the end of the day was there any redeeming aspect to it I mean I the only thing I can think is being equitable and being consistent with all your employees so that you can look them all in the face and say, these were our criteria. And look, we we, we have wherever we can be, be consistent. I don't know. Yeah. Let me just say this. Like on the human level, it's it's awful. And I, I feel terrible for him. This is a person who has just lost their, I, I presume, exclusive source of income um, at a very difficult time for that. He's not the only and one. And is he furloughed? Does anybody know? Yeah, it sounds like the PR or? that they came back with was said when fans are back, we'll be happy to welcome Gunnar Soros back to the stadium. But it doesn't say specifically that Jerry, uh, the gentleman who, Which who should have wore always the custom, been. If they've got a massive PR fail, it's that they didn't say, look, uh, Gunnar Soros with, with other employees uh, as appropriate are going to be furloughed for a while. Because they let that story float out there for 24 hours that he was just straight up fired. So that's a massive fail. I know this is fail. cynical, Paul, and, and I, I fully admit it's cynical. But, like, I get it. Other other workers were furloughed, and it sucks for them, too. And and every extra worker that's furloughed is extra shitty, and, and one less is one less piece of shitty news. The fact of the matter is, unlike some of those other furloughed workers— this is an iconic part of the club that you're not going to sneak by, that isn't going to be faceless and nameless. And those other workers don't deserve to be faceless and nameless either. I'm not suggesting they do. But to save this de minimis amount of money, to make a move that is clearly going to be a black eye, and I think they were too clever by half, and I'll only say it because this, they announced this and did this just before deadline day. I think the presumption is deadline day would yeah. drown it out. And to be fair, if it weren't for Mesodozel, it would have. There'd be very little talk about this today. We'd be celebrating party. We'd be thrilled about party. We'd be talking deadline day. And the noise around, it was meant, they tried to bury this right in front of an avalanche of positive news and news in general. And unfortunately, Mesodozo didn't play that game for them. And whatever you think of him doing that, and I don't, don't want to wade into it. You, you take my point, Paul, like they, they got yeah, caught out. I agree. And now it's a huge black eye. And I, I you know, look, I understand why you don't want to climb down from something. I almost feel like they have to climb down from this. There's no benefit. There's only drawback. Yeah. Well, look, the right thing to do is the is the we were and are furloughing him, unless it's just not true, in which case uh, it's going to look terrible. So I think they could be. Yeah. So to your point, if they were, if this was not a furlough and it wasn't an understanding that they reached with Jerry. Then yeah, this is this is bad because now they've done a hundred and eighty, and their hands caught in the cookie jar, and it just looks shitty. Agreed. Okay. Well, I mean, hopefully the club does the right thing, and hopefully the club does the right thing for all the people, and hopefully this pandemic ends and fans get back to the stadium and the workers get their jobs back, and you know, th this is the kind of stuff that 
it's bigger than football and it's hard to discuss. And I'm sorry that we have to cover it at all, but it's the world we're living in. And uh, hopefully that world will, will shift back to something approaching normalcy soon for everybody. Uh, Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> Tim's on Twitter. So better. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Alex Smith, the Bachman, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. And I presume many of you will continue to do that. So thank you for uh, taking that direction. Uh, we will have, Clive will be doing the scouting video with me tomorrow for Thomas Party for patrons. And uh, the, the OR one was great. It just, um, yeah, it was a war, which <laughs> epic fail. But to be fair, uh, let the patrons vote on who they wanted it to be on. And that's who people picked. So I, I would like to believe that I am only partially responsible for this epic fail, unlike other epic fails where I am 100% responsible. I want to thank everyone again for joining for the live stream yesterday. That was a hell of a lot of fun. Thank you for that. And, um, more interesting conversations to follow, hopefully. We'll do a lot of cool stuff during this international break, hopefully to keep everybody going through it, but I can't wait to watch Thomas Party line up next to Ceballos as we uh, bestride the pitch, beating everybody in our path on the way to a title, which is, of course, what is going to happen. So, uh, that wraps up the window. The good news is there's another one in about two months. So, you know, because we all love that part of the game so much, we, we get to do it again. And uh, what comes up after the interlow? Well... Thomas Party gets to face Manchester City, perhaps. We shall see. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. City no. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.